Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. As we come to our scripture reading today, I want to give you a little background context on it because we're actually going back in time from last Sunday. We're going two weeks earlier to a story about a man named Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. Um, This is one of Jesus' best friends. These are family friends who are going through tragedy and sorrow. And um, we're kind of telling the story almost in in Pulp Fiction style, you know, out of order a little bit. But two weeks before Easter, Jesus had been, in in John chapter 10, as John tells the story, had been in Bethany, and he had healed a man who was born blind. He had given the good shepherd teaching, I'm the good shepherd, I will lead you in good places, I will feed you, I will protect you. And the authorities had gotten, let's just say, a little bit jealous, and had taken up stones to actually end his life on the spot. They tried to arrest him, and he went across the Jordan River. It says he remained there. So now we come to John chapter 11, and he's on the other side of the Jordan River. Jesus, last time he had been around Lazarus's hometown, it was not a good thing for Jesus. He's understandably staying away. Except now, Martha and Mary, Jesus' friends, sent a message to Jesus. And they said, Lazarus, the one whom you love, is ill. And Jesus says, this story will not end in death, but rather it will end in God's glory. And then he goes and stays two more days on the other side of the Jordan River. He does not hurry, hustle back to his friend to help his friend in times of need. You can kind of understand why. I bet you those were two days of trauma and drama for Jesus saying, I want to be near my friend at the same time. It could mean my death. But after two days, he says, let's go back to Judea again. And his disciples say, Jesus, they just tried to kill you in that place. And Jesus says, I'm intent on going there. And Thomas, the loyal friend at that point, says, okay, fine. Let's go with you back to Judea. We'll go and at least we'll die with you. (laughs) We're going to be with you through this. And this is where our story picks up in verse 17 as Haley reads. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and she met him, while Mary stayed home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. When And when she heard it, she got up quickly and she went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but 
was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, Mary uh, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping. He was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was laying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took the stone away. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment for silent reflection. Let's pray together. Gracious God, as we come to this moment, we arrive here with different emotions, different feelings, different experiences right now. Some of us are entering into that Easter joy and can sense hope. Others of us are mired in guilt or fear or depression or addiction anger, holding a grudge against somebody else. They're living rent-free in our mind all the time, and we can't seem to shake this feeling that we've been wronged. We come to this moment believing and trusting in you, and fearing, and doubtful, and cynical, and skeptical. But however we come to this moment, as diverse and different as each of us are, help us to see we have more in common than we realize. On one hand, each of us is more of a mess than we even know. More broken than we want the person next to us to know about us. And at the same time, you see us and you know us in all our complexity, all our contradictions, all the ways we get it and all the ways we don't get it. You see us in our entirety and you love us to the heights. And that love is revealed especially in the person and work of your son Jesus Christ. And so now we pray that you would teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit in a way that our lives would be transformed. 
that you'd open our eyes and our minds and our hearts and our lives to your grace and then send us out to be your hands and feet of renewal wherever we go. We pray all these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. Whenever I listen to this scripture, I think back to a time I was in South Sudan. And the church that we were pastoring in San Francisco had started, helped start a hospital in South Sudan, which now is a three-wing hospital that saves lives, many lives, every month. And I had the chance to go visit it with some of the doctors from our church. And then friend, you know, friend doctors as well. And we all went over there. And I had no credentials to be in the operating room, but because I was the pastor, they'd let me scrub in and be there. I was there all the time. I think we were there, we were in the country for a total of one hour before I saw my first C-section. And I, you know, I was watching surgeries and then actually helping out with some things, just minor things. Don't, I never held a sharp instrument. But um, I remember this one where this boy had come in, young boy. And his parents had brought him. And his vitals were dropping and he was convulsing. And I was just in the room watching. His parents were there too. And his vitals went down to zero. And he was gone. He was gone. And the mother threw herself on the ground, wailing and weeping, like you can only imagine. And in their culture, they do not hold back. The wailing and the weeping could be heard around the hospital and throughout the countryside, I'm sure. And my friends, I'll never forget this, Dr. Joe Kim, um, Dr. Mike Kwan, Dr. Anna Kwan, friends of mine just went to work in the way that they do, and they revitalized this boy, and they brought him back to life. And they gave this boy back to his weeping mother as she was scraping herself off the ground. Now, I tell that story knowing how it ended, so it's actually a joyful story for me. But in the moment, it was sheer terror and sorrow and pain. I think in the same way as we come to this scripture, if you've been around church for a while, this is a scripture the church brings out often once a year to remind ourselves of Jesus' resurrection power. And so we tell the story knowing how it ends. But for Martha and Mary, who were experiencing it one second at a time, it was sheer terror and disappointment Can you hear the anger in their voices as each of them said to Jesus, if you would have been here, this would not have happened. If only you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Maybe you ask questions like that to God. Where were you when I needed you most? If you really do care, and you actually are powerful, and you really are working in this world, then why are so many terrible things happening? Don't you care? Are you really good? And I want you to know, when you ask questions like that, you're in good company. You are a part of the long line of men, women, and children who have gone before us, grappling with a good and beautiful God working in the midst of a broken world. A new creation that has been birthed in the midst of the old and yet is not here fully yet. And I want you to see in this passage that Jesus sees your sorrows, enters into your pain, and renews your suffering. First, Jesus sees your sorrows. Now, this has been an interesting Easter season. Easter is one of my, is my favorite season of the year. I think that's part of my temperament, my personality. I love a good party. I like to keep things on the sunny side. And what is more bright than the beauty of resurrection in the midst of sorrow? 
it's felt like we've needed this Easter season more than ever before. And this week, I have heard from more than ever before, I know it's Easter, but it just doesn't feel like it. I still have all this fear. I still have all this sorrow. I still have all this lament. I still have all this confusion and uncertainty and weight. It feels like Easter. I know that I need it, and yet I can't access it. It doesn't feel like it. And I want you to know that this scene today, on one hand, is dazzlingly hopeful. It shows us the power of God to overcome death. And it's refreshingly honest. Because it says, even life with God will include sorrow and tears and fear and confusion. It's not a sign that you're doing it wrong. It's not a sign that God is not present. God is at work in the midst of the mess. He sees your sorrows. He joins in your suffering. He identifies with your pain and feels your sadness. And each of them, these women who loved and knew Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Do you hear the authentic permission that Scripture gives you to be honest about your questions? More than half of the Psalms, which are the prayer book of the Bible, are questions like, where are you? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Friends, if your pain shouts so loud you can't hear anything else, if your grief or your despair is crushing so hard it feels like you can't feel anything else, if your depression is so deep it feels like a tennis ball in your throat choking you, and you've done everything, You've sought good counsel, you've prayed, you've tried to honor others, you've tried your best, you've actually done things that you think are the right way to do them, and it's not working out how you want it. Where are you saying, if only you had been here? Jesus hears that. He listens. And someone right now, I know, maybe, maybe you have been taught it's not right to question God. It shows a lack of faith or a lack of trust or it's disrespectful. I want you to see that everybody who got close to Jesus, who knew how much he loved them, knew they had the freedom to ask their questions, to bring their unresolved tension. Martha says, if you had been here, and she holds that along with hope. There's still hope. She says, but even now, I know God will give you whatever you ask of him. If you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. And even now, I know that you are still good and have the power to do something about it. The picture of being present in the midst of grief and loss, questioning and crying, not minimizing, and not being overwhelmed by it. How do you do that? you realize not only that he sees your sorrows, but he actually enters into your pain. Jesus enters into Mary and Martha's pain in the moment through a ministry of both truth and tears. See, truth without tears is cold and distant. Maybe you have a friend who's tried to help you before simply by pointing out the things that you've done wrong. Tears without truth is a Hallmark card. You need both tears and truth, and he brings both. 
to Martha. He brings the ministry of truth. We've been introduced to Martha before. She is the doer. She's the achiever. She's the one that stacks up victories, right? She has everyone over in her house. She does all the work. She makes sure it looks great. Her Enneagram number is possibly three or one. And to Martha, she says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus responds with truth. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. On one hand, he delivers truth. This is actually truth that would have been part of her faith understanding. Right? The Jewish people, by and large at that time, did believe in some sort of general resurrection of all the righteous people at the end of time. Okay? There was a small group called the Sadducees who didn't. That's another story. Some say they didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. That's how you remember. Sadducees didn't believe. Anyways, pastor joke. I got tons of them. Mar- Martha probably believed in the resurrection in the end of time for all the righteous. And Jesus is saying... In fact, if you look at what Jesus is doing, he is not only God come in the flesh to us, but he's bringing God's future of resurrection and renewal rushing forward into our present time. He's bringing the renewal of all things in our midst. And he says, I have overcome death. And he says it in two ways, right? Verse 25, I'm the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And then verse 26, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And he's speaking as a great Jewish rabbi in Jewish parallelism. Is he saying the same thing twice? Kind of, but not really. The first part, he's giving her the doctrine of the resurrection. He's saying, even though you will die physically, I will raise you up. Eventually, two weeks later, he will show what it looks like when that happens. His death and resurrection is called the first fruits or the sneak preview of what the coming kingdom of God looks like. When you die, I will raise you up. Death will not have the final word on you. But then the next part is something a little different. Because he's actually talking not just about physical life, bios, but of spiritual life, zoe, the the life that you have, the quality of life that you have. And he says, I will give you a quality of life that's never-ending, that's glorious, that's present to you now. He had done this earlier in John chapter 4, where he meets this Samaritan woman at the well. And she's this thirsty person, you know, literally and figuratively, cramming her life full of more relationships and more relationships, and they're not ending well for her. And he says, don't you know that I'm living water? And when you come to me, I will fill you up and you will never thirst again. I will give you life overflowing. I'll give you not only life everlasting, but life overflowing. Enter in to that sort of Zoe life now. You see, as you know, death looms and casts a shadow over all of us. There's an old philosophical exercise, there are many variations, but one is, if someone was to give you a billion dollars in cash and say, enjoy it, get the boat, get the helicopter, get the yacht, get the mansion, get the Ferrari, get everything, the good food, the good drink, throw a party, do it all, but in one day, in 24 hours, I'm coming back to take your life. 
enjoy. You can't enjoy any of it. And philosophically, they say, life is like that loaded gun at the end of this whole entire adventure. And it, it, death is, is the, the loaded gun at the, at the end of this whole entire adventure. And it obliterates meaning or hope in this life. We've experienced this, I think, during the whole COVID pandemic over the last year. I'm convinced that this pandemic has not made our lives more fragile. It has revealed how fragile they already were. And we come to grips with it in many different ways. We don't want to think about it. We create strategies to deal with it, to deal with disappointment. You know, one strategy is denial. We say, let's not talk about death and disappointment. Uh, One writer put it this way. He said, for society's sake, we must hide the unbearable disturbance caused by the ugliness of dying. People need to believe that life is happy. If anybody begins to actually admit to themselves the inevitability and the reality of death, life will be drained of all joy. So that's one way we deal with it. We just deny it. We just ignore it. Or we sentimentalize it. You will hear this when you go to funerals or memorial services. You know, it's, it's a beautiful part of life. It's just part of, you know, the whole circle. The, you know, life is one drop slipping out into the whole ocean of existence. We sentimentalize it. But you know deep down that that's just putting lipstick on a skeleton. Or we anesthetize it. We eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. So we speed things up. We drink up, we achieve up. We do as much as we can, frantically rushing. And underneath, there's that hum of inevitable emptiness. And you know it. But scripture comes and gives an entirely different understanding of death. It says it's okay to admit that it's a part of our experience. Not only death with a capital D when your life is end and that light goes out, but the millions of tiny deaths that you experience throughout your life. Death of a dream. Death of a hope. Death of an opportunity. Death of a relationship. Death of a career. All of these ways that we let go. And scripture is honest about disappointment in our lives without minimizing it or getting run over by it. And in terms of the great death, the end of your life and mine, it says it's an enemy. It's the last enemy. But it's a defeated enemy. Reflecting on the power of Jesus' death and resurrection, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, writing to this urban church in Corinth, starts taunting death. He personifies it and says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Christ has overcome you. Christ has conquered you. And so we need fear nothing. You see, resurrection is not just a doctrine. It's not just a future fact or hope. It's a person. And he's standing right in front of Mary and Martha, inviting them, enticing them to make a huge jump of trust in him. And he's challenging them, and you and me, He's challenging you, urging you to exchange your if only you were here for if Jesus really is who he says that he is. Instead of accusing God to preach the gospel to yourself, to use your rationality and your logic and to begin to say my fears and my pain and my sorrow and my loss are real and substantial and they matter and they count and they hurt. 
But if Jesus really is the Son of God, I could face this. If Jesus actually has risen from the dead, even though this feels like death, I need not fear it. I can walk through it. Christian friends, where are you saying, if only you had been here? And what would it look like to preach the gospel to your own heart, to reason with yourself and say, if Jesus really has overcome death, I can trust him with this. So to Martha, he gives the ministry of truth. But to Mary, she comes out, and there's this great kind of poetic repetition going on here. Martha comes out, says, if only you had been here. Mary comes out, says, if only you had been here. And Jesus gives an entirely different response to each of them. He gives them pastorally exactly what they need. Martha needed the truth, the words, the logic, the rationality. Mary needs tears. He enters into her feelings and weeps with her. N.T. Wright, world-famous New Testament commentator, scholar, theologian, bishop, uh, writes, and there's the mystery of the whole gospel. Jesus weeps. Take a moment and consider what's being claimed right there. That the Word made flesh, the one who created the cosmos and all the worlds, is bursting into tears at the grave of his friend. The God of all creation knows you and loves you personally, specifically. A God who comes with tears. Is that how you think about God? What comes to mind when you think of God interacting with your own difficulties and sorrows? Do you see God as just someone who's distant, watching from afar? Maybe has the power to do something, but for some reason isn't, which seems to make it even more cruel. Or a God who's got bigger fish to fry, and you understand there's over 7 billion people on the planet, and they have worse problems than you do, so you understand that God's kind of prioritizing things, like triage at the emergency room. Or do you see a God who knows you specifically, who sees your sorrows and weeps with you? See how he weeps with you. And friends, as you see how he weeps with you, not only may that comfort you, but it also then makes you a person who's able to go toward other people in the midst of their sorrow. The closer you get to pain, the more likely you'll weep. When's the last time you wept with somebody who was going through a difficult time? But if the story just ended there, that wouldn't be entirely good news. That would be partially good news. A God who weeps with you. But he doesn't, at the end of the day, we don't want a God who just sees our sorrow, knows our pain, and weeps with us. We want a God who's going to do something about it. And that's exactly what we see in this passage. That he does something about it and comes after death. Jesus seeing not just Martha and Mary at the coffin weeping, but all of us, with all of the coffins of our lives, doesn't just weep. He gets mad. And he moves out. He redeems your suffering. 
In those next verses, verse 33, it says, He was greatly disturbed in spirit and began to weep. And the Greek word for greatly disturbed, it's a, um, it's a, it's a, it's a word that's describing feeling it in your guts. Not just kind of upset, not just, you know, not just disturbed. It's like an, how an animal snorts and bellows in rage. He is sick to his stomach and angry to the core. He is raging at death. Why do you think that is? He's furious at death. I wonder if you can see what he must have been feeling at that moment. The Word made flesh, the one through whom all things were created, is standing at the grave of his friend. And death is defilement of his creation, defacing of his shalom, of his peace, of his beauty. You know, if you're an artist, and you created a beautiful painting. You poured yourself into this painting. This painting reflects who you are at the core. And someone walks up with a Sharpie marker and starts just drawing all over it. You're not just mildly disturbed. You are raging because they have defaced your creation. If you're a parent and somebody mistreats your child and hurts them, you are not just mildly disturbed. You are furious because you care about your child. And Jesus is saying, death has defiled my creation. Death is disturbing my children, my people, and he's furious. You see, God's anger, in this case, is actually a sign of his love. He is so angry because he loves us so much. The more you love, the more angry you are when what you love is threatened. And his love drives him to action. In the moment, he raises Lazarus from the dead, showing that he has power over death. But I think there's an entirely deeper level of meaning to what's going on here. I think one of the other reasons Jesus is weeping and disturbed in his spirit is because he knows that in order to raise Lazarus, he will be signing his own death warrant. In the following verses that weren't printed for us, there's an ensuing discussion that happens among the religious authorities. Remember I told you in the beginning, last time Jesus was in town, they all tried to kill him and arrest him, and now he's back, and again, he's ruffling their feathers. And there's this ensuing conversation where the high priest says, perhaps it's better that we kill Jesus and one person dies for the sake of all people, not knowing how ironically he is, pro he is prophesying Jesus' death and resurrection. To open Lazarus's grave, Jesus will seal his own death. And he does it. He does it for us all. Jesus knew, if I bring Lazarus out, I will bury myself. The only way for me to interrupt this funeral is to cause my own funeral. The only way to spring him out of death is to sign my own death warrant. And he does. Willingly. Friends, what would be different about the way you see disappointment and pain right now in your life if you could see that he not only weeps with you, but is now and one day will fully redeem this moment and this season? 
And as we conclude, I want to point out that this is one of the examples, one of the few parts in the New Testament where we not only read that Jesus prayed, but we hear what he prayed. And why was he praying out loud? He tells us right there. He says, Father, I thank you for hearing me. I know that you always hear me, but I'm saying these things for the sake of the crowd that's listening right now. And John, the gospel writer, by recording these things, makes, it sh- makes sure that you and I are now a part of that crowd listening in. I'm praying these things for the sake of the crowd so that they might believe that you sent me. And so Jesus goes to Mary and Martha and to you and me and says, Behold, I see your sorrows. Know that I've entered into your pain and see that I have redeemed your suffering. And if you need to know why and how, Just look at the cross. Look at the empty tomb of the resurrection. And begin to say, if Jesus is the author and finisher of creation, if Jesus is the Son of God, if Jesus has risen from the dead, then I can actually walk through this moment, not with minimizing it, not with ignoring it, not with escaping it, but facing it with tears and with hope. And then you become a person who moves toward other people's tears as well. As you do, friends, the world is transformed and you are renewed. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we pray now that you'd help us to see that and trust and believe that you actually know the complexity of our lives and all that we're dealing with. And you care about it, you weep about it, and you are doing something about it even now. As we meditate and reflect on your death and resurrection, especially in this Easter season, We pray that you would impress it deep down in our hearts and minds, that it would take root and begin to grow something beautiful in our lives, something that can only be marked as resurrection hope, and that you would make us each, individually and as a renewed church community, that we would be an outpost of your resurrection hope wherever we go. We pray these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. Friends, we're going to continue now with our time of offering. Offering is an act of worship as we say, everything that I have is a gift from God. So I give freely back to God. It is never done through manipulation or guilt. It's always done through joy. And um, it's also a way, it's an act of mission. As everything that we give here and online goes to fund the church's mission to renew our neighborhood, our city, and our world. If you'd like to donate and to, to contribute to the offering online, just go to the church's website, renewsandiego.org. Click on Give at the top. It's all encrypted and financially tax deductible. Offering also goes beyond our finances. It includes all that we are. Your talent, your passion, your education your social circles, you will have the opportunity this week to impact and influence and care for people that others won't. So what does it look like for your life to be an offering to God? As God loves you, you go forward to love one another. As we consider this, let's pray the offering prayer if you're following along and scrolling down. It's on page 7 as we pray. Holy One, bless our offerings and transform them into healing for the wounded, hope for the disheartened, courage for the frightened, and faith for the embittered. In the name of Jesus Christ, your faithful witness, the first resurrected and ruler of the sovereigns of the earth. Amen.